Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by finding us and listening in. We pray this sermon stirs up your love for Jesus and grows you in your faith. But before we begin, we ask that you not let this podcast, or any podcast for that matter, replace the local church in your life. You need to be a member of a local congregation and under the shepherding of that flock's pastor. So please become part of a local church if you aren't currently. If you'd like more information about our church, please go to www.mountzionchula.org. Enjoy our podcast. Garrett, we thank you, and, and we're um, so excited about what the Lord's doing there. And, um, and wow, I was thinking, you mentioned that college has 72,000 students. That's a massive amount. That's, that's more than Tiff County has residents. I, I hope you know that. Um, that that's 72,000 people that, that are made in God's image that will spend eternity either with God or separated from God. And so we're really thankful for um, the work y'all are doing there as well as at Georgia Southern. We continue to pray for you. Um, open your Bibles to Exodus 20. We are um, trekking right along through the Ten Commandments as we work our way through the book of Exodus. We've got three more weeks looking at the Ten Commandments, and then we'll progress on through the rest of the book of Exodus. So um, today we'll be in verse 15 of Exodus 20, the Eighth Commandment. Um, I was about nine years old, and um, my dad and I were at my Grandma Marge's house for Thanksgiving. Grandma Marge is my dad's mom. Um, she's, um, she lives in another county over from where I'm from, and um, we were at her house for Thanksgiving. My dad and his six siblings all would get together for um, three or four holidays of the year, and Thanksgiving was one, and we were there, and uh, me and my ten cousins were all playing, and um, my Grandma Marge had these cheap dollar store water pistols in her bathroom and um and they were underneath the sink in her bathroom we got a hold of them we started filling them up with water and and playing and when we were done we, we put them back under the bathroom sink and when my dad and i were about to leave to go home i went into the bathroom and took one of those water pistols and put it in my pocket and we left and on the drive home i pulled it out and started looking at it and my dad looked at it and said where did you get that and I told him, I took it out from underneath the sink at Grandma Marge's house. And my dad got really upset. He got really upset, and he called my grandma, and, um, and he said that we were coming back because I had to return this water gun I had stolen. When we got back, he made me do a walk of shame inside and apologize and give the water pistol back. And that was the situation. Because stealing is still stealing if it's a cheap water pistol from the Dollar Tree. Yet still, a recent Barna survey found that 86% of people surveyed claimed they had never broken the Eighth Commandment. They had never broken the Eighth Commandment because they were not guilty of bank robbery. They had never robbed a bank, so therefore they hadn't done what the commandment says. Even though it doesn't say you shall not rob a bank, it says you shall not steal. Because us sinners have a tendency, don't we, to view our own sin on a level below what is actually considered sin by God. Like, I'm not that bad. I'm a good person. But God's law continually reminds us that we have fallen short of God's glory. Romans 3 says there's none who does good, not even one. So whether we've robbed South Georgia Bank or took a cheap water pistol from our grandmother's bathroom, we're all guilty of breaking the Eighth Commandment. 
So as we continue through the Ten Commandments this morning, as, as with all the others, there's so much more in this commandment than, than whatever comes to your mind when you read it. So let's read it together and talk about it. Exodus 20, 15. You shall not steal. You shall not steal. The reason 86% of people say they've never broken this commandment is because their definition of stealing has more to do with the value of the item that's stolen rather than the act itself. They've never stolen anything that was of major value, so therefore they're not guilty, right? But the commandment doesn't name a value on what is stolen. It's talking about the act of stealing, taking something that's not yours. In a general sense, that's how we can define um, stealing. Stealing is taking something that belongs to someone else. Taking something that belongs to someone else. Or for more detail, hear how um, the Heidelberg Catechism describes it. This is um, a catechism, a doctrine statement that the church has put into place um, several centuries ago. Chris, can you bring up the first slide? And, um, and this question is going to continue into a second slide because it was too much to include. Um, what does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? This is how the church creeds have defined it. God forbids not only outright theft and robbery punishable by law, but in God's sight, theft also includes all scheming and swindling in order to get our neighbor's goods for ourselves, whether by force or means that appear legitimate, such as inaccurate measures, measurements of weight, size, or volume, fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, excessive interest, or any other means forbidden by God. In addition, God forbids all greed and pointless squandering of his gifts. This statement comes by bringing together several passages of Scripture, Exodus 22, 1, Micah 6, 9-11, Deuteronomy 25, 13-16, Luke 12, 15, and Proverbs 21, 20. You bring all those together, you get this definition of what stealing is. So when you consider all that could be taken, that all that could be taking something that belongs to someone else, there are many ways to violate this commandment. So let's talk about some modern day ways that people do it. Um, obviously, the first being robbery or burglary. Um, I, I don't, uh, obviously, not trying to minimize that. Um, don't want to sound like that. Forcefully taking, taking of someone else's property, even, even by threat or violence if necessary. It's a violation of property and dignity. That's the heart of why stealing is so wrong, and we know it is wrong, because my property is often tied to my personhood and my identity. So it, it, to, to take it from me is often to take something essential to me. Personal property matters. It's one of the foundations of, of, uh, of a stable society. So robbery, burglary, and stealing are attacks on the foundation of society itself. So robbery or burglary would be one way to break this. The next is vandalism. Vandalism. That is destroying of property, destroying someone else's property. It's the same thing as stealing. The only difference is you don't get the thing after you do it. It's the same thing as stealing. You just don't get it. Um, it just loses value to the owner of it. When I was in middle school, one of my uh, classmates um, was on my road. I had a classmate that lived at the end of my street. And uh, another guy from school came over, and they were hanging out, and they started walking down the road. And they got to my driveway. And the other classmate, not the one that lived down the road, decided he was going to vandalize our mailbox. And he did it to one or two other people as well. He um, broke the door off and he twisted the flag around and, and all of that. And, um, and 
walked away and we came home later and found it like that and one of our neighbors told us hey i saw this kid do this and, and he had very distinct features that we would have known who that guy was because he walked our street a lot and um and so we called the cops and and i um i went into my room my parents told me don't leave the house till the cops get here don't do that and it's the only time i ever snuck out of my house as a kid um, because i was a superhero i had to interview the neighbors and figure out exactly what happened so I opened the window and jumped out and took off down the road. And I came back and jumped back in the window. And uh, I went down and interviewed my neighbors and said, tell me what happened. And he told me. And, and so I was able to give an accurate report to the police when they got there. We had to pay to fix our mailbox. So therefore, we lost value in what we were doing. That is the same thing as stealing. Another one is human trafficking. That is a that is a form of breaking this commandment, human trafficking. The only stealing worse than stealing property is stealing people themselves. And it happens all around the world. Estimated 27 million people around the world are trafficked. 27 million people. That's a lot of people. A lot of people made in God's image have been stolen by somebody and turned into a slave. Sometimes for... Um, for prostitution, sometimes for forced factory work or something else. And most of them are children. Most of them are children. And this isn't just something that happens in Nepal. Actually, Atlanta is a huge hub for human trafficking. A lot of people are trafficked in Atlanta and other big cities in the U.S. Here's how it works, particularly in another country. Um, a um, rich man will come to a poor village and he'll find a family where they are um, very clearly starving and he'll tell those parents who have young kids, hey, um, I can take your kid and I can take him back to the city and give him a job and they can work really hard. And um, every month they'll send you some money and, and you'll get some money to, to live on and you'll get to know that your kid is, is surviving and doing well. So why, why don't we set this up? I can do that for you. And that's what the parents do. They're deceived. They give their kid to go and work this job and they never get any form of money and that kid does not get a good paying job that kid is made into a prostitute or a factory worker often drugged to keep them in line and then they usually die by the age of 40 either by natural causes or by suicide 27 million people made in God's image are stolen like that oh God destroy that industry Use us any way possible to destroy that industry. May we not be satisfied with our comfortable lives while that's happening to 27 million people every day. But the fact is, most of us have never committed any of these three. Most of us have never robbed a bank or vandalized or, or trafficked a human. Those are the big ones. But we've likely committed smaller acts of theft, haven't we? Let's talk, let's talk about some smaller ones that people might be um, that people might do cheating the government cheating on your taxes this is when you claim things wrongly on your taxes to get more money or to have to pay less in plenty of other forms of cheating the government and maybe you don't have a problem with that because you say well they're all a bunch of crooks anyway they steal my money and taxes all the time what's wrong with me cheating them a little bit everything it's stealing whether you steal from an honest person or a horribly evil person. Stealing from a thief is still stealing. This is why I fully intend to pay my student loans back that we've been paying on for years 
now. I have a good amount of student loans from college. It's still several years before I get them paid off, but I will not apply to have them forgiven because I took that money out in college, and it's my responsibility to pay it back. It's not the taxpayer's responsibility to do that. Now, if the government wants to remove the exorbitant high interest rates, I will not object to that because I didn't take that money out. It's not someone else's responsibility to pay my loans off. It's mine. Another way is pirating. Not like our, like, like, like <laughs> stealing, stealing um, content illegally. It's most commonly done with movies and music. Um, kids... Back in the day, before you could look up a song on YouTube or Spotify or whatever, if you wanted to hear a song, if you wanted to hear a specific song, you had to do one of two things. You either had to be lucky enough to hear it on the radio, or you had to buy it on CD. There was a song I wanted to hear one time, and I called the radio station, and I said, would you play this song? And I sat by that radio for five hours waiting for that song to play. Finally played. That's what you had to do back in the day, which is why back in the day, People would pirate music a lot more. People, I don't know if I don't know if that's a big market today, but but I know it was back when I was younger, um, where there were sites that you could go on and download music illegally and burn it to a CD and listen to it whenever you wanted. I had two people that I knew who who would do that, and I would give them a list of songs and say, "Could you get these songs for me?" And they download them and put them onto a CD, and I could listen to them at my leisure. It had to be um, less than 120 minutes worth of music because that's all you could fit on a CD. But that's what we would do back in the day. That's stealing. It can be common today with movies or video games or anything else. Acquiring something that is not yours that you didn't purchase. Another way is plagiarism. Plagiarism. It's not just limited to students forging essays. That's a common way that we think of it, but it's a lot different than that. Um, Adrian was telling me the other day about um, she saw somewhere online that um, some people now are using um, artificial intelligence to write novels in the fashion of particular authors and publishing them on Amazon under the name of that author in order to get money off of it. That's stealing. Fred Evers, one time, pastor of Northside that passed away a few years ago, he told me one time that um, that several years ago um, they used to um, they used to put Northside sermons online, but it was before they started broadcasting. I don't think they broadcast anymore because of Facebook Live. But they only they put the audio of the sermons online, but but they hadn't started their TV ministry yet. And uh, he told me that one day they when they started TV ministry, um, he got a call from some pastor somewhere else in Georgia, and that pastor told him. Why did y'all start broadcasting your sermons? And he said, well, to reach people, what, why else? And he said, well, now everybody can see your sermons, so i got to find my sermons from somewhere else. <laughs> like, you know, I, I find my sermons from in here. I, I, I don't know. I didn't know we were supposed to get it from somebody else, but that's stealing. These are violations of the commandment to plagiarize someone else's stuff. Or stealing time from your employer. Stealing time from your employer. In Louisville, I worked at a Verizon warehouse. And um, our, our job was one of those jobs where you have a certain amount of tasks in a day that you have to get done. And honestly, the job that I had, once you get those tasks done, you're done for the day. I mean, you just sit there, and if more work comes in, you do it. And if not, you just get to do whatever. I mean, you can play on your phone. You can read. You can do whatever you want. And so that was our job. So we had a certain amount of tasks to get done. And so um, the, the temptation was, well, I'll just, I'll just slack off until 9 a.m. or 10 a.m., and then we'll get our work done. 
But that would be stealing time from our employer. If there's work to get done, you do it. I rarely had homework in seminary because I would get it all done at work because we would finish up our task and I would do my homework. Um, but, but that was the tempting part was, was slack off for a little bit, you know, get woken up in the morning and then get to work. I had a, a coworker that I worked with who would spend the first two hours of the day reading ESPN and checking his fantasy football team. And it, it frustrated me and the other workers to no end because we're doing all the work while he's sitting there. He was stealing time from his employer. You have a general work ethic of doing your job when you have work to do. Now, you don't have to be crazy with that. Like, if you need to go to the restroom at work, go, go do it. That's fine. If you take a phone call from your kid at school, like, that's fine. Take the phone call. But, but generally work when you're working as long as there's work to be done. Any other form, uh, with, these are just several examples today, but, but any other form of taking something that isn't yours, that's violating this commandment. And at the heart of it all, at the heart of theft, is greed. Greed. Greed is a desire for more. What I have is not enough. I need more. And it overlaps a little bit with the Ten com Tenth Commandment, which, which we'll get to in two weeks. But theft sees the value of what someone else has, often what, what they work for. And theft decides, I'd like to have that. I'd like to have the value of that. But I don't want to do the work required for it, so I'll just take it. The fact is, greed is the opposite of love. Jesus came to show love, and what did he do? He laid down his life. He gave up all that he had. 1 John 3.16, we know what true love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. That's what love is. Greed doesn't give up our life for someone. Greed takes to add to our life. If you will steal from someone, you probably won't pray for them, will you? These are so many ways where the Eighth Commandment is broken, but that brings up a different side of the commandment, doesn't it? Because you can break this commandment and never take anything from anyone. Chris, go to the next slide. Here's the second part of this catechism doctrinal statement. Um, what does God require of you in this commandment? That I do whatever I can for my neighbor's good, that I treat others as I would like them to be treated, and that I work faithfully so that I may share with those in need. All based from Isaiah 58, Ephesians 4, Matthew 7, and Galatians 6. They, they get this together from those Bible passages. That, that to, It's not just that I, that I resist certain behaviors, it's that I exercise certain other behaviors. It's not just stealing to take, it's stealing to withhold. Greed causes you to take from others. Greed also causes you to withhold from others. Because you have a lot of resources and you hold on to them tight because you're afraid to lose them. I have a family member who, um, who's very tight with his money. He's, he's extremely tight with his money. He's got thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in the bank, but he will not spend it. In fact, at wintertime, which is a lot colder in Kentucky, um, in, at wintertime, he heats his home with a buddy heater while his kids are freezing to death. Because he doesn't want to have to pay the heating bill. Because he's got to hold on to the money. His kids are freezing to death, but he's not going to lose his money. Do you know how many churches close their door every year with tens of thousands of dollars in the bank? It happens so much because they wouldn't use their resources. They held on to it. And churches like that don't grow. So when they keep their money but continue to lose people, they close with money in the bank. Acts chapter 4, um, there's a comparison between two characters. 
um, Barnabas and Ananias. Hear what happens. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard it. So you could probably use this for the ninth commandment as well, and we might do that. But God doesn't kill Ananias for not giving all of his money. He kills him for claiming he was giving all of his money because his heart was full of greed, but he wanted to look generous. He wanted to look like Barnabas. Barnabas had just sold his property and gave it to the church. Ananias wanted to look like that, so he sold his property, and he gave part of the money to the church and said, this is how much it was, but it wasn't. So just understand that you could be breaking the Eighth Commandment but not be taking anything from anyone because you're withholding. The Eighth Commandment does not forbid just stealing. It demands generosity. So the answer to the Eighth Commandment is stewardship. Stewardship. Matthew 25, you can go read it later. There's a parable of verses 14 to 30 where Jesus says that at the end, at the end of history, um, everyone will come before the Lord. And um, it will be like a, a servant who, um, a master who gave his servants talents. One of them was given five talents, and he went and used it and made five more. One was given three talents. He went and used it and made three more. One was given one talent, and he hid it under a bush and said he didn't want to lose it. So he was just going to keep it you know, protected for when the master got back. And sometimes that people read that passage, and they see the word talent, and they think, well, that's your singing talent, and that's your gardening talent, and that's all of those things. That's not what a talent was. A talent was money, money. The, the talent in the ancient world was money. So the point of the story is the five talents that the one guy got, they belong to the master. The three talents that the one guy got, they belong to the master. The one talent belonged to the master. Everything you own is actually God's. Everything you have belongs to God. Nothing is actually yours. God owns it all, especially your money. And God has entrusted you with money that he owns. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with your resources, your money, your home, your, your food, your car? It all belongs to him. You are made a manager of God's resources. So you do three things. You do three things. First, you work hard. You work hard. Ephesians 4.28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. You don't work so that you can have a good life so you can enjoy pleasure, although you're certainly free to have leisure and entertainment. You work so that you can have a you, you work so that you can have resources to be used for God's glory in the world. This should reframe how you go into a job that you hate. You're not working for that jerk boss you have. You're not working for a company that you don't like. Ultimately you're working for the Lord. Ephesians six five through eight. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. 
He talks some more about that. But, but obey your masters as you would Christ. You're working for him, ultimately. He's speaking to slaves there when he says that. I don't know what job situation you have that you hate, but I'm pretty sure it's not slavery. And he, said, he tells the slaves, you're working for Christ, ultimately. So work well. No matter your situation, because you're ultimately serving him. And he provides you with his resources through that job that you might use them. You work hard. Secondly, you give generously. You give generously. As he gives you resources, you give them to others. You do that generally. You help those in need with your resources and your time. But then beyond that, you give to the work of God in the world. So as a member of this church... Um, the first place you do that is through giving to this church. Remember that we have a church covenant now. I've got it right here in my Bible. I think it's in the back of my Bible. There it is. Church covenant now. We, we, um, we solidified this in January. There's copies of it in the foyer if you don't have any. Um, part of this, this is your um, promises to this church and promises to the members of this church. And remember a certain line of it. We will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, church expenses, support of the um, relief of the poor, and spread of the gospel. It's right here in this paragraph. That, that's part of the commitments of being a member. When someone joins our church, I give them five challenges. One of them is take the next level in giving, whatever that is for you. If you don't give, start giving. If you give a certain amount, start giving more. Um, when you give to our church, here's what it goes to. It goes to maintaining our property so we can meet, so we can have worship. It goes to ministry materials that might be literature, that might be decorations for BBS, that might be anything like that. It goes to salaries, especially mine, so I can devote all my time to pastoring and I have to have another job on the side and not be able to do things. It goes to benevolence, helping those things that come up. It goes to ministry and missions. That's the most important part. It goes to the cooperative program. The cooperative program funds the North American Mission Board. It funds the International Mission Board. It funds seminaries, so many things like that. It, it funds our association. It funds the BCMNA back. It funds missionaries like Garrett Gay, like the, the Kilgores. It, it funds mission projects that we do as a church. This doesn't mean you don't give outside the church. You should, but it's an expectation that you, as a member here, will give to help this church flourish. So I challenge you all, take the next step in giving, whatever that is for you. When you give, it proclaims that money does not own you. I wouldn't give it away if my hope was in it. My hope is in Christ. So you work hard, you give generously, and thirdly, you trust God to provide all that you need. Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Notice that says every need, not every want. There are plenty of wants that I don't have. There are plenty of wants you don't have. We can know this for certain. We can know that he will provide all that we need because he's provided all that we need in, in, in the cross. He's provided salvation for us. Without Christ, we would be eternally hopeless. Christ came and lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death that we deserve. Christ rose from the dead, defeating our greatest enemy and providing us life. So that for the, all those who repent of their sins and trust in that good news, they receive life. And more than that, Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He gave us his son so surely anything else is less than giving us his son 
So surely he's able to do that. If he can provide for us our greatest need, why would he not provide every smaller need? When I was in college, um, I worked for a news organization in my hometown. Um, my hometown was an hour and a half from my college, and, um, and they, they did news stories. I was a journalism student. They primarily reported on my hometown, but they started to branch out to some other cities, and so I was their reporter in my college town. And, um, and I would send them stories. I was able to send like three or four stories a month, and I just got a little money to spend here and there. And um, at a certain point in my senior year, we got new management at, at this news organization, and she was a different kind of boss than the previous guy was. And, um, and she stopped taking my stories. I would write a story, and I would send it in, and she would send it back and say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to publish this. She wouldn't give me a reason. She just wouldn't take my stories, and so I quit. I quit. I, I quit in January of my senior year. And I was scheduled to start a ministry internship in May of, right after I graduated, in May of, of, of 2014. And um, I needed income for five months. I needed some kind of income to live on, you know, pay for gas and food and things like that. Um, and I didn't know a place I could apply to work that would only hire me for, you know, four months. I now know, of course, that they would do that. But as a, you know, 21-year-old, I didn't know that. Um, so I prayed. I remember praying, Lord somehow provide for me what I need for five months. I don't know how you're going to do that, but would you just provide for me what I need for five months? And one night I was driving to a coffee shop to study, and I got sideswiped. I got sideswiped. A lady was, I was in the turning lane, a lady decided to get into the turning lane where I was at. And clunk, dented my truck door, my, my passenger door. And, um, we, you know, filed the report, and I got the insurance claim, and it was going to be about $3,000 to fix my door dent. And it was basically a dent in the door. That was it. The truck ran fine. And I realized I could fix my door, or I could have money to live for five months, like the Lord, you know, like I asked the Lord to do, because 3000 was about how much I could live on for five months. That would be good. And I actually called my mentor at the time, and I said, hey, is it wrong for me to use this money to live on instead of fixing my door? And he said, well, Fraze, no, uh, because the, the value of your car will go down in the end, so it's, it's a loss one way or the other. And so I left the dent in my door, and I lived off that 3000 for five months. I had that dent in my door until I sold the truck, and every time I saw it, it reminded me of the Lord's faithfulness, that he would provide. I was reminded that he's faithful. I don't have to steal. You don't have to steal, because God is faithful. You don't have to take from others. You don't have to withhold generosity because the Lord will provide for you. He has met your greatest need by providing his son. He will meet every need you have. They are all less than his son. Will you trust him? Will you place your life in his sovereign hands? That's the question behind all of this. We're all tempted to take from others because we don't trust a faithful God to provide for us. He has you in his hands. You don't have to look other places for resources. He will take care of you completely. If you ever doubt that, look at the cross of Christ and see God provide your greatest need. And know that no other need is too hard for him. Because if he did not spare his own son for you, will he not open up the gates of heaven and give you whatever else you need? He will. So trust him.
pray with me. Father, you are a faithful God, and you will provide all that we need, and we praise you for that. Lord, none of us in here are bank robbers, to my knowledge. But Lord, there have been times that we've maybe that we've maybe had smaller forms of, of, of taking things to, to save our own skin. Um, or, Lord, because sinful temptation came up in us, I can think of one theologian who said, I just stole because I felt like it. Um, Lord, sometimes we do that. Lord, we have fallen short of your glory, but you have come to rescue us and make us have a changed heart that relies on the faithful God who will rescue us. So, Lord, I pray for any here who don't know you, that haven't had conversion yet, that haven't come to faith in Christ, that haven't been given a new heart with new desires. And Lord, I pray that you would draw them to yourself today and that they would repent and believe the gospel. And Lord, for for those here who do know you, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name you would um, teach them greater reliance on you, on your faithfulness, on your love, and that they would look to you for all things. And I pray all this in Jesus' name.